Dead Air by Scott Overton. Previously in Dead Air, radio morning host Lee Garrett's life is in a shambles, his career is in trouble, and he's facing a death threat that just might be real. In Chapter 5, the company Christmas Party revealed the tensions boiling beneath the surface of Lee's radio world. Now, Chapter 6 of Dead Air. When he heard the voice of Candace Ross on his voicemail, Lee hoped she was calling to cancel their visit to Paul Schwartz. No such luck. She suggested he meet her at the CNIB office so they could travel to Paul's together. That would give her a chance to prepare him a little more. Lee suspected she was more interested in keeping control of the situation. He had a vague memory of the yellow brick building on York Street. He knew it had once been a residence for blind people and a workshop, too, but both of those had been closed down years ago. Now it offered a range of modern services for the visually impaired. Candace Ross was waiting, buttoning up an expensive overcoat that had seen too many long winters. She gave a puzzled look at the briefcase he was carrying, then dismissed it. "'I'm out for the rest of the day, Clarice,' she said, tugging her thick collar straight and pulling her hair free of it. The receptionist nodded, and Lee thought he caught a trace of a smile on her face, probably wondering whether his appointment with Candace was business or pleasure. The question had crossed his mind, too. They took the CNIB van, decorated with logos of the National Organization and the local Lions Club. She drove with easy movements, but her face stayed stiff. Paul isn't just blind, she said, skipping the pleasantries. He's an orphan. His parents were killed by a drunk driver. About two years ago now. I think I remember the story. Such a senseless tragedy. So he had some tough issues to deal with even before his accident with the baseball bat. Try to remember that. This is a kid who's suffered. He's good at hiding it, but nowhere close to being healed. I'm not sure he ever will be. Who does he live with? An uncle. He's... Well, with luck, he won't be home. She left the remark unexplained. Paul had everything going for him. A good student, a good athlete, lots of friends, a loving home. Then so much was taken away from him within two years. She pressed a knuckle to the bottom of her nose for a moment. I shouldn't say it like that. He's still got a lot of potential. You said he was injured by a baseball bat? She nodded. Another inch lower and it might have killed him. There wasn't any actual damage to either eye, but within a few days he was totally blind. And I mean totally. Most people you would call blind actually have some vision. They might see movement out of the corners of their eyes or blurred shapes. But Paul is in a world of total darkness. Could it reverse itself? Spontaneously? It has happened, but you'd have better odds of winning the lottery. It's good to keep some hope, but not false hope. And people can compensate in ways that would amaze you. Paul's come a long way in the past few months, but I'm sure he could double his progress if I could just get him interested in something again, anything. That's why I brought him to you. He wondered if he could have a career in radio. She looked the question at Lee. What do you think? Seriously? I mean, it's been done. His shoulders lifted. I remember there was a sportscaster who did color commentary for one of the American baseball teams. But if you mean the kind of show I do... It'd be one hell of an uphill climb. So much of the job is reading. I know there are technical aids that can help with that, but frankly, private companies wouldn't be willing to spend the money. Even the CBC probably wouldn't. That's what I thought. 
let's keep that to ourselves for now, okay? But these days he doesn't have to be a broadcaster. What about podcasts and audio blogs on the Internet? Some of them are incredibly popular. I don't know if anyone makes a living at it yet, but by the time Paul enters the job market, do you really think so? Or is that just a way to let him down easy? Didn't someone just tell me it's good to have hope? She pulled over in front of a semi-detached home of dull red brick and wood siding that showed at least twenty years of wear. "'Hi, Paul. It's Candace,' she said as the door began to open. "'I know. I heard you come up the sidewalk. High heels.' The boy looked pleased with himself. Now that he was aware of it, Lee could see that Paul's eyes didn't focus, but they still aimed at Candace's face. "'Who's with you? A man, right? Those are a man's shoes.' "'Hello, Paul.' "'Lee Garrett!' a smile burst into view but quickly dimmed. "'What are you doing here?' "'I'm really sorry about what happened at the craft fair. "'I had a serious problem with the equipment and had to fix it right away. "'I should have... well, anyway, I wanted to make it up to you.' "'The boy gave a knowing nod. "'Candace asked you, didn't she? "'It's okay. She thinks she's my mother.' "'He hesitated, then abruptly stuck out his right hand "'as if remembering the correct adult behavior.' Lee grasped the hand firmly and gave it one polite tug. The boy said, "'Come on in!' A smell of breakfast and ashtrays hung in the air, as if vaporized bacon grease had permeated the carpets and upholstery. A secondary odor of unwashed laundry revived Lee's memories of college dorms. The hallway's faded carpet might once have been blue, but was now a dirty gray shading to brown in the center. Off-white walls bore the residue of cigarette smoke, darker near the ceiling." Even if Lee hadn't been told, he would have known that no woman lived here. The few shelves around the living room held only a sparse collection of sports or automotive magazines, some ashtrays, and an empty beer bottle. "'I hope the place isn't too much of a mess,' Paul said. "'Uncle Lenny leaves stuff lying around. Sometimes I trip over it. He's getting better, though. I asked him once about getting a housekeeper. He got pretty pissed at me.' He hesitated. "'Sorry, I shouldn't have said pissed.' Lee stifled a laugh and opened his briefcase on the lone bare patch of arborite on a nearby coffee table. I brought something for you. I hope you're a Blue Jays fan. Oh, yeah. What is it? With a nod from Candace, Lee took the boy's left hand and placed a CD in it. This is a CD called That Championship Season. Heard of it? Yeah, the Jays 1993 season, right? Cool. Thanks. Right. Tom Cheek and Jerry Howarth. It's got some great clips, a lot of the World Series especially. I uh, had an extra at the house. I hope you like it. Maybe we can listen to it together. Lee laughed and said, Maybe. Candace's eyebrows looked to be telling him, Don't make promises you're not prepared to keep. Lee just shrugged. He put his briefcase near the front door and laid his gloves on top. What other things are you interested in, Paul? Come on, I'll show you a new model I just finished. Paul's room was like a Hollywood version of a boy's bedroom, with carefully placed sports equipment and plastic models of spaceships, but far too neat. In Lee's experience, a young boy dropped things wherever they lost his attention. Obviously, piles of clothes or toys would be hazards to Paul Schwartz. But it took a moment for Lee to identify what was really wrong. The walls were a flat blue, with no posters or pictures, no Star Wars wallpaper. Even the comforter on the bed was a solid blue, not a picture of Hecheveria diving for a hard-line drive toward second base. The room felt incomplete. 
Even a boy without sight himself would want such things to show off to his friends. Look at this! Paul went straight to a shelf near the head of his bed and returned with a large model of the Starship Enterprise from the 2009 Star Trek movie and its sequels. I just finished this one. Cool, huh? Uncle Lenny only helped a little when I couldn't tell what the part was supposed to be. He waited expectantly. Great job, Lee said sincerely. When I was your age, I would have smeared glue all over the place. You're a pro. I love Star Trek, Paul said. You? Lee nodded, then realized with embarrassment that the gesture wouldn't be seen. Yeah, since I was a kid, I had Enterprise blueprints all over my room. Cool. The model was impressive, but it was like the room itself, barren. No paint, no decals. What was the Enterprise without NCC-1701 sweeping proudly across the saucer section? The rest of the models were the same. Fighter jets without the Canadian Forces maple leaf, sports figures with unbranded uniforms, a racing car in the dull gray of the original plastic. Paul wouldn't see the extra touches himself, but that was no reason to skip them. Lee felt it was another mark against the unseen uncle, but then he had a mental flash of the models in his son Jason's room. Some were painted, but most were not. The required father-son time had been sacrificed to an increasingly hectic schedule. Maybe he wasn't in a position to throw stones. Mr. Garrett? Sorry, I was somewhere else for a second. Uh, remembering that I shouldn't really stay too long, I have things I have to do. Actually, some Christmas shopping I haven't quite finished. Hadn't started was closer to the truth. Candace's face closed like a fist. He looked quickly to Paul and saw the Enterprise model dangling from slack arms. That's okay, you can go. I know you're a busy guy. Why would you be interested in a kid's toy models? Lee took a deep breath and rubbed his temples. Hadn't he learned anything? No, Paul, I am interested. My shopping's waited this long. It can wait a little longer. The change was abrupt, but the boy seemed willing to accept it. Is there anything you want to know about radio? Do you listen a lot? Yeah, sure, I listen all the time. Do you guys get to pick all the music you play? With a smile of relief, the morning man fell into explanations he'd given dozens, maybe hundreds of times before. The strangeness of the surroundings faded, and there was just a man and a woman and a boy. The next time he checked his watch, it was after five o'clock. I think Mr. Garrett and I will have to get going, Paul, Candace said for him. Ah, oh, we didn't get to listen to the CD. Could you... Sure, Lee said. I'll see you again. Maybe you can come and meet some of the people at the radio station. The boy's normally expressionless eyes lit up. Yeah, that would be great. Candace had begun to lead the way out of the room when they heard the sound of the front door closing and a few scuffled steps. The noises stopped for a moment, and then there was a loud thump as if from a heavy object flung to the floor. Who's here? Who the hell's here? Paul's uncle appeared at the corner of the hallway. He was a few inches taller than Lee, with shoulders that would have been broad even without the quilted jacket he wore, but the arms and legs under the blue work clothes showed a wiriness rather than bulk. A heavy steel lunchbox had been thrown to the floor, and Lee's overcoat was clutched in a large hand. Crooked bottom teeth showed through thin lips as the man spoke again. "'What the hell? What are you doing here?' Surprise flashed in the blue-gray eyes, but also something more, not just anger, a naked hostility. He turned on Candace Ross. Why did you bring him here? I never said you could bring people. What the hell were you thinking? She could only stare, shocked, speechless. I invited him, Uncle Lenny. Don't be mad. I, di I didn't think you'd mind. 
Paul pushed between the adults as if to offer his protection, a gutsy move. Hopefully it meant that Lenny Schwartz wasn't given to beating his nephew. As if to confirm that, the man's fury began to cool. He looked down at the boy for several seconds, then pulled a faded baseball cap from his own head and flung it across the room. "'Damn it, Polly, you gotta ask me first. It's my house, too, you know.' The cold eyes shifted to Lee's face. "'So you do notice the little people every once in a while, huh, Mr. Radio Star? Or was it a short skirt that changed your mind?' Candace's mouth fell open and her hands went to the hem of her dress. Lee reached to take his coat from the man's hand, their eyes locked. "'I had a nice visit, Paul. See you again soon.' He had the satisfaction of seeing a smile on the boy's face as Candace led the way outside. In the van they rode in silence. A few blocks away he snapped straight and said, "'Shit, we have to go back!' "'What? Go back there? Now?' "'My briefcase. I left it there.' "'Well, couldn't we?' "'No. I need it for work. I can't do without it.' His voice softened. "'I'll go up to the door myself. You can stay in the van.' Lenny Schwartz had not used the time to comb his disheveled hair, nor had his voice gained any warmth. "'What do you want?' he asked, blocking the doorway with arms folded across his chest. "'My briefcase. It's right there, against the wall.' The man reluctantly gave a nod. Lee took a step inside and grabbed the handle of the case. His gloves had fallen behind it. He picked them up and went out the door. Neither man spoke, but Lee felt eyes on the back of his neck all the way to the van." Candace stepped on the gas. Blocks away, she turned her head to Lee and said, "'I'm sorry, I've never seen Mr. Schwartz like that before. So angry.' "'Not your fault,' he paused for a moment. "'Obviously it was because of me. Working in radio, most people treat us like celebrities. Others figure we work five hours a day with our feet on the control board, a cup of coffee in one hand, and counting all our money with the other. Of course they resent it.' "'You mean it isn't like that?' He snapped his head toward her, opening his mouth for a reply before the grin on her face stopped him. They laughed. Paul really appreciated your visit, and so did I. Maybe I owe you a favor. The van pulled into the CNIB parking lot. Who do you have to buy Christmas presents for? Or was that just an excuse? My kids, son and daughter, teenagers. Not your wife? Ex-wife. No, we don't exchange gifts anymore. Insults only. Maybe I could help, if you want. I have a few more things I should pick up myself, she added quickly, and it's almost time to eat. Great, that'd be, that'd be great. He bit his lip before he could say anything more feeble. The awkwardness forced them to laugh again. They took separate cars to the Southridge Mall. Lee had invited her for a sit-down meal at a restaurant first, but she'd declined. She probably felt it would make the evening too much like a date. They ended up at molded plastic tables in the food court, eating Chinese food. The owner of the stand knew him and threw in extra egg rolls. "'There are some perks to the radio biz,' Candace observed. "'Some.' As they were about to eat, a woman in a loose dress appeared at Lee's shoulder. He smelled ketchup and alcohol when she leaned in, her neckline hanging indiscreetly open. "'Lee Garrett, remember me? At the Rotary Dance last month. You had some pretty smooth moves.' She gave Candace a smug smile, then turned back to Lee, put a hand on his shoulder. The motion pushed her dress fabric out still farther. He could have read the brand of her bra. "'Sure, it's nice to see you. Marjorie, I knew you'd remember.' Lee nodded, but said nothing. After an expectant silence, she said, 
If you ever want to pick up where we left off, I work at the stallion's head pub. See you. Soon. She lazily dragged her hand free and sidled away with an exaggerated swing of her hips. Another perk of the job? If you imagine I enjoyed that, yeah, Lee scowled. We didn't even dance. I was the MC. The woman has a fertile imagination. None of my business. Speaking of business, how did you get into yours? Was there someone close to you who was blind? When she didn't answer right away, he raised a hand. Sorry, it's personal, right? Forget I asked. No, it's okay. It's a natural question. It's just... Well, my father lost his job when I was about nine. He was a proud man. He looked hard for work. But when he couldn't find any, he began to spend more and more time in the bars. My mother tried to fight the loneliness with Ryan Ginger. She tried to pour some tea from the metal teapot and half of it spilled. With an apologetic look, she fumbled with some napkins to wipe it up. Anyway, my family was self-destructing. I was a kid. I didn't understand, didn't know what to do. The day before Christmas Eve, a couple from the Salvation Army came to our door with a Christmas basket of food and a few treats. Mother cried, but she didn't drink. Some people from the neighborhood church came by and gave her something. It had to be money, because Christmas morning there were dolls for my sister and me under the tree. Daddy stayed home with us all that day and the next. The first week of the new year, someone from one of the service clubs in town found a job for Daddy, driving a delivery truck. It didn't pay much, but he came home to us at night, tired but smiling, and no beer on his breath. She stopped speaking, and random noises rushed in to fill the gap. A frustrated toddler squawking at his parents, a bored cleaning boy scraping paper plates and cups off a table into a plastic tub on wheels. When Lee was sure there would be no more to the story, she raised her head. They gave me my family back, those people. We could never repay them, but I thought there might be another way to give back. Her eyes looked into his, and what he read there was a revelation. Then the moment was gone, and she laughed self-consciously. Got more than you bargained for, huh? No, no, thanks for telling me. So how about you? How did you get into radio? He told her about being a class clown because his parents had to give their attention to his sister with cystic fibrosis, about thinking a radio career would make him a star and still leave time for golf, about moving to six different cities within a dozen years, about filling in for a vacationing morning man and realizing he might have what it took to do a morning show after all. Except I should have looked before I leapt. What does that mean? He tried for a casual smile. It took over my life. After an awkward moment, he pushed back from the table and said, Ready to do some shopping? She looked thoughtful as she grabbed her purse from the floor and carried her tray back to the Chinese food place. Lee had started to walk away from his, but went back for it. On their way out of the food court, a burly man in a poor-fitting suit caught Lee's eye and broke into a grin. The man's hands were full of parcels, but he stopped to introduce his wife, who was clearly uncomfortable meeting a celebrity while only dressed for shopping. After a bit of small talk, Candace stepped forward and introduced herself. There was a quick exchange of Christmas wishes, and Lee managed to pull away. "'How do you know them?' He's a listener, runs a carpet business. He smiled. I could tell you don't listen to CTBX. Listeners act like they've known us for years. Well, you're right. I usually listen to, what is it, the new one? The Wolf? Country music? But I thought you were English. She laughed. What's that supposed to mean? My parents are English. I was born here. 
Anyway, country music is big in Europe. Here, too, actually. You shouldn't sneer at what you don't know. Lee held up his hand as if to ward off a blow. Okay, okay, I've run into big country fans before. I should have known what to expect. Where are we going anyway, she said, slowing her steps. How old did you say your kids are? Jason's thirteen, Sarah's fifteen. Did you have any ideas about what to get for them? Not a clue. He gave an embarrassed shrug. I never was any good at this. They were close to Zeller's, so he stepped toward the entrance. Hang on, what are you going to get them in there? I don't know, clothes maybe, CDs, a baseball glove for Jace, or something like that. Do you know what sizes your daughter wears? Does she buy her clothes at Zeller's? His blank look gave her the answers. She asked what he knew about his children's interests and tastes. It embarrassed him to realize how little that was. Finally, a mental picture of his daughter at the piano led him to find a book of show tunes from Broadway and the movies. Candace gave him an approving smile. So what about your son? What would he most like to do? The expression that came over his face caught her by surprise. Spend some time with me, he said quietly. Oh, okay, then give it. How do you gift wrap something like that? Well, what kind of things do you like to do together? Camping? Fishing? Going to a hockey game? Fishing? Jace always wanted us to take a fishing trip together. Then surprise him with some fishing gear and a gift certificate redeemable for one father-son fishing weekend. Make the date his choice and make sure you follow through. Yes, ma'am. Whatever you say, ma'am. But his face removed the offense from the remark. The suggestion was a great idea. While he'd been struggling to find two presents, she'd quietly picked up odds and ends for half a dozen people or more. Standing in the checkout line, she found a small Toronto Blue Jays wall clock with the logo, hands, and numbers raised from the face. For Paul, she explained needlessly. Back in the mall concourse, he said simply, Thank you. I think Sarah and Jason will like this year's gifts, for a change. She hesitated a moment, then asked, What about... What about your ex-wife? You're not getting her anything? Not even for Christmas? Lee's expression hardened. I play Santa Claus for her in a big way, once a month. Well, she does have to look after the children, doesn't she? So naturally, since the man is always to blame in a divorce, he should make it up to the woman somehow. Now wait a minute, she snapped back, drawing looks from other shoppers. You think men are the victims in a divorce? A victim was exactly how he felt, especially now that the woman who'd promised herself to him forever had found someone else. Of course not. Everyone knows that women are the victims of the world. I'd beg for forgiveness, but I forgot my knee pads. Her face turned livid, the lips pressed white. I was right about you the first time. You're the hollow center of a shallow little world. I'd feel sorry for you, but you already feel sorry enough for yourself. She spun around and began to walk away. It must be wonderful to be so perfect. He thought her next step faltered, but she kept going. His eyes turned to the bags in his hands, then to the people nearby, conspicuously looking everywhere but at him. He willed his legs to move, and slowly they obeyed. How had the night gone so wrong? He'd been enjoying the company of a woman with no expectations or pressure. That hadn't happened in a long time. Now it was a shambles. Sweet pleasure turned to poison. He searched his feelings for anger, resentment, indignation, but found none of them. There was only a numbness that swallowed him whole. 
Join me next week for Chapter 7 of Dead Air as Lee Garrett struggles through Christmas memories and rediscovers how easy it would be to destroy his career with one mistake. You can buy your own copy of Dead Air, read my blog, and find some free fiction all at my website, scottoverton.ca. Thanks to Audionautics.com for the great music as always, and thanks for listening to Dead Air. I'm Scott Overton.